You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. I'm so honored to be here to be able to kick off this new series with you today called The Resistance. How many of you have ever set out to accomplish something important only to feel some pushback as you started to make your way? Maybe you set a goal to pursue some physical health, to lose some weight, and you set your alarm for 5.30 in the morning. How many of you know when that alarm goes off at 5.30 in the morning, there's some resistance? You get some pushback from the dark outside. You get some pushback from the cold and just kind of want to stay under those covers. And even if you push through the resistance and happen to make it to the gym, what's waiting for you at the gym? Resistance. (laughs) Literal resistance. The treadmill's pushing back. Those barbells are pushing back as you're trying to do those curls. Gravity itself is pushing back. As you try to push those push-ups and the sit-ups and the pull-ups, gravity is the, is the resistance. And then if you get back to the kitchen, what's waiting for you in the kitchen? More resistance. You see the fruit bowl in the middle of the table and you know that's the smart move. But you open the fridge and there's the leftover pizza pushing back. And the cookies that you made the night before are sitting there calling your name, pushing back. And there's resistance everywhere. Maybe for you, it was earlier this year deciding that I'm going to build some community into my life this year and pursue some new godly relationships. And then, isn't it crazy? As soon as you begin to take those steps, all of a sudden you get hit with some added responsibility at work. Now that small group that you signed up for, you've got to stay late and you can't get there on time and your schedule starts to push back or maybe for you it was a decision that I'm going to pursue some health in my mental health this year. And just as you start to get real and vulnerable with a friend about the depression and the anxiety that you've been battling with, it's like all hell breaks loose. And now you've got some repair that pops up at home that's going to break the bank. And you've got your mom gets sick. And now financially and relationally and physically, you've got all these things that are happening that are causing more worry when you're trying to battle the worry. And we begin to experience this resistance. And if you haven't figured it out yet, you will. That life, and especially pursuing God and positive change in your life, it's a fight. And we're going to experience resistance. We're going to talk about that in this series. And I want to start today, actually, with the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And I want to take you to a scene in his life that is so fascinating and a transition in his life that honestly is a little confusing. But I want to, I want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us today through it. And so let's go to the Gospel of Mark. And I want to take you to Jesus' baptism in verse 9. Here's what Scripture says. In those days... Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So here's Jesus, and I want you just to imagine you're on the banks of the Jordan River watching this take place, and it is so dramatic. Heaven is torn open. It's like a sci-fi movie. 
And a dove begins to come down out of heaven, representing the Holy Spirit, lands on Jesus' shoulder, and then this voice booms out audibly from heaven, this is my son, I love him, and I'm proud of him. Acceptance, you're my son. Affection, I love you. Affirmation, I'm proud of you. By the way, the same three things, parents, that our kids need to receive from us every day of their lives. Acceptance, you're my daughter, you're my son, nothing will ever change that. Affection, I love you. Affirmation, I'm so proud of you. That's what Jesus is receiving from the Father as the Father is establishing from the very beginning of his ministry his identity. You're my son. I love you. I'm proud of you which is what makes this next verse so confusing. Let's look at it. If you could put it up, verse 12. The Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that led him to the Jordan River to be baptized, the same Holy Spirit that came down out of heaven and landed on his shoulder, the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. Immediately as in nothing happened in between. While Jesus' hair is still wet and he's still trying to dry off from the baptism, the spirit drives him out into the wilderness. I don't know if that feels confusing to anybody else but me. I mean, baptism, it's like this big moment. You should be going back to the house for a party after baptism. There should be balloons and a cake and celebration. Yet immediately when everybody else goes back to the house for the party, the spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness. Here's the voice of the father. You're my son. I love you. I'm so proud of me. Now, come on, son, follow me. All right, dad, where are we going? We're going out into the desert. We're going to fast for 40 days and be tempted by the devil. What? I thought that you loved me. I do. I thought you're proud of me. I am. Then where are we going? We're going out into the wilderness where for the next several weeks, you're going to lose a lot of weight. You're going to have a showdown with Satan. Doesn't make any sense. And here he is, and he is being led by the same Spirit of God. Listen, he was in God's will in both places. It wasn't that he was in God's will at his baptism and stepped out of God's will in the wilderness. The same Spirit of God who took him into the baptism took him into the wilderness. And perhaps some of you can relate with this. I think all of us can as we look at our lives that in the blink of an eye, you can move from the mountaintop with God into the wilderness from a season where it feels like there's intimacy with the father and you're hearing his voice and you're feeling his presence and there's momentum in your life and it feels like your life's about to take off and doors are going to open and you're beginning to launch something new and then immediately it's as if man how did I get into this lonely place into this dry place that's where some of you are today. Into a, you're in a season that feels barren. There's just no color in your life right now. It feels like God is distant. And so here's Jesus. And we learn from him that the wilderness can be a scary place. It can be a disorienting place. It can be a confusing place. But it's a necessary place. And here's what begins to take place. Verse 13. It says, when he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So Jesus is not alone in the wilderness. 
There's danger that he can see wild animals. Literally, he can hear them. At night, he's fending them away. And yet there are also forces that are unseen to the, to the human eye. And he is surrounded by the angels of God, also by Satan and his demons. And you and I need to understand that every day of our lives, there are physical threats to our life that we can see and things that we think about and obsess over. But behind those things are unseen spiritual realities. The angels of God that are surrounding you, also Satan and his demons that have plans for your life and your future. Say, well, who is Satan? Satan was... An angel created by God, Genesis 1 verse 31 says that when God created the world, he looked at creation and all that he had made and he said that it was all good and very good. So we know that in the beginning, Genesis 1, the world as God created it was perfect. No evil existed. Yet in Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan in the form of a serpent coming to Adam and Eve in the garden, entering into the human story. And so at some point between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3, there was a rebellion in heaven. And you can read this story in a very poetic passage in Isaiah chapter 14. Satan was an angel created by God, actually the worship leader in heaven, who decided he wanted to receive the worship that God was receiving. Pride had filled his heart, and so he led a rebellion in heaven, took one-third of the angels with him. God defeated him, cast him out of heaven, and so now the battle has shifted from heaven to this earth, to this world, this planet. And now Satan exists as the arch enemy of God, literally the Hebrew for certain, for Satan is adversary, and he is here to oppose God and all that God loves and is doing in the world. And I want you to know today Satan's primary strategy in the world, because if we don't understand that war is the context of our lives, we will misunderstand and misinterpret so much that is happening around us. We will look at things and wonder, why would God allow that to happen? And oftentimes God is blamed with things that are outside of his will altogether because the reality is we are engaged in a battle and God's will is being opposed. And so Satan is here and I want you to see as we look at this, what he is doing because Jesus modeled something for us at the beginning of his ministry. He modeled baptism, union with God. And in the acceptance and the affirmation and in the affection he received from the father, that shows us the identity that you and I are called to live with in our lives, founded on what the, what the, what the heavenly father is saying to us and saying about us. Yet Jesus is here. And what we need to understand is that just like he experiences believing and in walking in our identity with the father, it will be the greatest struggle of our lives. As one moment, heaven opens up above Jesus. The next day it's hell that opens up above Jesus. And he is transported from the baptism pool to a boxing ring with Satan. And Satan begins to do something that is so insidious, that is so subtle, which by the way, He's been up to this for thousands of years. He has perfected his craft. And what he begins to do is assault Jesus' identity. And I want to show it to you in Matthew's gospel. He brings a little bit more perspective into this scene. And he shows us the temptations that come against Jesus. And I want you to see the strategy of the enemy because it's still the same today. And we're going to expose it 
today so that you can walk in greater freedom this week and this year. And so here it is, Matthew chapter four, verse three. Here's the first one. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Do you, do you hear the suggestion that the enemy brings? If you are the son of God, look at the second one, verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Same temptation. What did the father speak over Jesus just hours before this at his baptism? You are my son. A truth that was to root and anchor Jesus for the rest of his life and ministry. And now in the wilderness, what is it that Satan is suggesting to him? You're not really his son. If you're his son, what are you doing out here in the desert all alone? If you're his son, where is he now? And you're going to be committed to him. It doesn't feel like he's very committed to you. And here comes the suggestion undermining the real identity of Jesus. And just as the father speaks truth over Jesus, Satan begins to attack him with lies. And the timing is no coincidence that Jesus has this defining moment in his life at his baptism that now Satan is trying to uproot that truth and that seed at the very beginning. And listen, if If you are following Jesus, here's the good news today. God is changing at the very foundation of your life, your primary identity. And when you put your faith in Jesus, your primary identity no longer is tied to what you do. It's not your career. It's not that you're a mom. It's not that you're a husband. It's not that you're a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's not that you're a barista or a leader or a teacher or a school superintendent or an athlete or a musician. Your primary identity is no longer in your career. It's not your future goals. It's not your past struggles. It is not your sexuality or your gender. Your primary identity now is God's daughter, God's son. That's who you are, his girl, his boy. And he is your Abba father. And it is that truth that he intends to become the foundation that we build our lives upon. Yet here's what Satan is going to do. Every day of your life, Every step that you take is that with a sledgehammer, he is going to pound at that foundation. And he's going to try to pick it apart one moment at a time. And the greatest struggle of your life most likely will be believing that God is really your heavenly father who is good. And it's often a battle that's fought in the wilderness. When my wife and I moved to Philadelphia to start our church, we moved into a lonely, dry wilderness. We moved from a place where we had a life that was established and I had an identity and I had a church that I was the pastor of and I had a building with an office to go to and a staff to lead and a budget to manage and messages to preach to a city where we knew nobody and the phone never rang and we moved into absolute anonymity. No building to go to, no office to go to, no staff to lead, no money to manage, no messages to preach. When I began to wonder, who am I? Does my life even matter? Yet it was in that wilderness that God began to strip away the false identities that I had been trying to build my life around. And he began to teach me who I really am. It's the most important lesson you'll ever learn in your life. And Here's why the wilderness is so important. Because in the wilderness, in the quiet, 
in the solitude, in the barrenness of it, where you can't be distracted with the growth and the goals and the acclamation and the applause and all of it. In the quiet, you'll hear two voices, the voice of the father and the voice of the accuser, and you'll learn the most important skill you'll ever learn in your life, how to distinguish between the two. God takes us to the edges to restore us to the center, the sound of his voice, the true identity he's given us, and the truth to build our lives upon. You don't discover who you are in the spotlight. That's where you discover who other people want you to be. You discover who you really are in the shadows, in the quiet, in the desert, where you're forced to distinguish between the voice of the accuser and the voice of the father. And in this series, the resistance, we're talking about resisting the enemies that sabotage our peace. And the big idea for this series and Pastor Jeremy over the next few weeks is gonna take you deeper, comes from a beautiful book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. And here's the big idea of the book and the series. Here's the devil's strategy. Deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. So what Satan is trying to do is suggest to us lies that feel like truth because of our disordered desires. Part of us wants it to be true. And then we feel like it's true because we live in the currents of a culture that make it feel like it's true. And so Pastor Jeremy is going to take us deeper into the disordered desires and the society over the next few weeks. But I want to talk to you about the deceitful ideas that are there because what Satan is trying to do is uproot the truth of who God is and what he has said about you and replace it with lies. And as he begins to do that, listen, if you doubt it or if you wonder if this is real, just try this one experiment. You can try this tomorrow. Uh, and here's the experiment. Try to go for 24 hours believing this one simple foundational truth that I am accepted and loved by God. Just try that experiment tomorrow. For 24 hours, I am going to believe uninterrupted throughout the day this truth of the gospel that I am accepted and loved by God. And you know what you'll discover if you audit your thought life throughout the day tomorrow? Is that every minute of every hour of the day, that one simple truth is going to be assaulted. (laughs) Have you realized this? You're late, just a couple minutes late to the meeting, and all of a sudden, there's the voice. You are undisciplined. You are so lazy. You are never going to be successful here. You click that link. You see that image that you promised yourself you'd never look at again, and there comes that accusing voice. You're really his son. You're really his daughter. You don't deserve that kind of acceptance, that kind of affirmation. You are a mess. You're so broken. You're never going to be free. You're never going to change. Just to believe that one truth, let alone all of the others in scripture, that I'm accepted and loved by God will be a battle all day long. And so 
What do we do? I really just want to make this practical today and help you. And so I want to take you to a passage that's really foundational when it comes to spiritual warfare, which is just a fancy term for what it looks like to engage the resistance, to push back on the pushback of the enemy, to replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word. And this scripture is really foundational as we begin that process. And so it's in 2 Corinthians, and we'll put it up on the screen, chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. It's an important word. I'm going to define it in a moment. But there are strongholds that exist and take root in our minds and in our hearts. And I think for a lot of us, you know, you probably look at the struggles that people around you have. And for many of us, you don't struggle with 95% of the stuff that people around you struggle with. But there might be one area, there might be two areas. It could be a habit, it could be an addiction, it could be anger that you can't control emotionally in your life. I don't know what it is for you, but it could be one or two things that, man, it's like the fight of your life is trying to break free from that thing. And there are strongholds that are there, yet here's the beauty of the promise that is given to us in God's word. We demolish arguments and every pretension, we'll come back to that word, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive. Literally, you are going to shift from being the captive, from being the prisoner, to now you are taking prisoner every thought that is arguing in your head with what you know to be true of God and what he said about you, you're going to take it captive and make it your prisoner so that it lines up and becomes obedient to Christ and the knowledge of God. And so what is a stronghold? Because I want to just shed some light on this. And here simply is the definition. It is a mindset value system or thought process that hinders your growth. A stronghold is not just a thought. A thought comes, a thought goes. It's deeper than that. It's a mindset. It's a value system. It is a thought process that when your thoughts come in, they either fit within the value system that's been established or they don't, which is why they don't stick. And so for many of us, we have thoughts that come in during a sermon like this or when you read the verse of the day on your Bible app, on your phone, but they don't stick because that thought from God doesn't actually fit with the value system that is actually running the operating system of your life behind the scenes. And so I'll give you an example. Some of us live with what I call a tragedy belief system. And it's the belief that bad things are coming. Bad things are coming. Bad things are coming. And if good's happening in my life today, it's not going to last because something bad's coming. And if something bad is happening, of course it's happening because bad things are going to happen. And we live with that. And so if you hear the truth that God is good and every good, every good gift comes from the Father above and that even in the difficult moments of your life, God is in it and he's working good and he's going to bring good out of it, that you, you can't You can't stay with that thought because it doesn't fit the value system that's actually running your life. And there are strongholds that are there. And what happens if we live within that stronghold is that we become a prisoner locked up by deception. 
There's actually no intrinsic power in the lie itself. The only power that the lie has is our willingness to agree with it. I'll give you an example of this. Some of you you are familiar with the story of Elizabeth Smart, who, when she was 14 years old in Salt Lake City, was abducted out of her own home by a man named David Mitchell, who believed he was a prophet from God, and that God's will for him was to make Elizabeth Smart his wife. And he kidnapped her, and he lived with her for 10 months in a tent, and he raped her every day. It's a horrific story. And it took him a few weeks, but eventually David Mitchell convinced Elizabeth Smart that she would never be free. And once she believed that she would never be free, he began to actually take her out in public. And he would take her into town. He would cover her face with a veil so people couldn't recognize her, but he would take her out with him. One time they were in a library and a police officer came up to him in a library with a picture of Elizabeth and said, have you seen this girl? And she was standing right next to him. And with a word, could have identified herself to this police officer and been totally free. But she was so convinced that David Mitchell had the power to kill her and everybody in that library that she remained silent, even though the guy didn't even have a weapon on his person. And that often is how you and I live our lives. The enemy has no actual authority over you. If you are a follower of Jesus and you put your faith in him, his blood has covered you. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He defeated the enemy on the cross and through his resurrection, it's finished. There's nothing else that needs to be done. But we empower the accuser simply by believing his lies. And we become a prisoner locked in a prison that isn't real, a prison of deception. And as that begins to take place, listen, God is wanting to set you and I free. I love this picture in this story that I think is so relevant. Jonathan Wainwright was a United States general during World War II, and he was the commander of the Allied forces in the Philippines and had an assignment to protect a particular area in the Pacific Rim. But they were overrun by the enemy and had to surrender, and so they wound up in a prison camp, uh, Jonathan Wainwright and his and his uh, troops. And in this prison camp, he got so sick and was battling so much disease, he lost weight and uh, was really about to die. Yet while he was there, the war came to an end. And when the allies won, the world was celebrating, but the news had not reached the prison camp that they were, that they had won. And so legally he was free, but in reality, he had not experienced that freedom yet. And there came that moment in time when one of the soldiers for the allies actually reached the prison camp and came with the announcement, the war's over, the allies have won. And when Jonathan Wainwright received the good news, he actually picked up his weak, emaciated body and he walked into the offices of the opposing commander and he made this simple announcement to him. My commander in chief has defeated your commander in chief. Therefore, you must surrender to me. And the truth is that your commander in chief, Jesus Christ, Lord of heaven's armies, has defeated the enemy once and for all. And so what you and I need to do is pick up our weak, 
emaciated bodies and walk into the enemy's camp and simply make to him the announcement, which is the good news, is the power of the gospel, that I am no longer your prisoner and I am limping, walking out of here right now. And the truth is for a lot of us, you know, we want the Rambo version of the story. We want to march in like, you know, Dwayne the Rock Johnson and just rip the shackles off with our superhuman strength. But it's not, you're not freed because of your strength. You are freed simply because of the truth that Jesus has already set you free. And so it is embracing the truth of what Jesus has done, which allows us then to, in Paul's words, demolish the strongholds. And so what do we do? How do we do it? Here it is. So simple, so practical. By taking captive every thought. Taking captive every thought. And you've got to recognize this, church family, that if you're going to change your life, you've got to change your thought life. That's where it starts. If you're going to change the way you live, you've got to change the way you think. You cannot live a positive life with a negative mind. It won't work. And so it is what Paul says in Romans 12 that we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now here's the beautiful thing is that science now is proving what scripture has always told us is truth, which is that your mind can actually be renewed and reformed. And if any of you have studied brain science today and neuroplasticity, that what we're learning is that the brain is not a static organ of the body. The brain is always evolving. It's always changing. In fact, when you're born, your brain is such a beautiful gift from God. There's such a brilliance to it that your brain begins to evolve. And actually in the first few years of your life, what they've discovered is that your brain is making about 1 million connections every second. It's putting things together. It's recognizing patterns. It's recognizing connections, it's firing, and what takes place is that your brain starts to simplify those connections and those processes, and so as, as your brain begins to develop, here's what's taking place, is that as you make decisions, dwell on thoughts, and repeat behaviors, your brain starts to recognize the patterns, and as you start to make the same decisions and dwell on the same thoughts and repeat the same behaviors, your brain, which is firing all of those connections, actually starts to form around those connections and streamline the process to create muscle memory, which is why if you think a thought several times in a row, it becomes easier to think that thought. If you dwell on a thought, if you make a decision, if you repeat a behavior, the more you repeat it, the easier it becomes to do it, to repeat that behavior again, which is good news if it's a good behavior. Bad news if it's a bad thought that you're dwelling on. And so the beautiful, the beautiful thing that we're, we're learning is that the brain can literally be rewired and those grooves and those ruts and those pathways in your brain can be reformed as you begin to, what, make new decisions, dwell on new thoughts, and repeat new behaviors. And as you begin to do that, it actually becomes easier to believe the truth. It becomes easier to make the right decisions. It becomes easier to walk in the, in the new behaviors that the Holy Spirit is birthing in your life as your mind is your, your life is being transformed because your mind is being renewed. But that's the battleground. 
That's the battleground. So I want to leave you in a place, I just pray, of real hope with this final promise from Isaiah. And I want you to see how much potential there is here as you now set out to say, I'm going to recognize what the enemy is up to in the battleground of my mind, and I'm going to supplant the lies, and I'm going to replace them with the truth of God's word. Because here's what many of us do with the Bible. Listen, is your relationship with scripture, it starts by reading the Bible. And some of you have taken that step this year, and maybe for the first time, you're in a Bible plan, you're reading the Bible. Awesome. But you've got to move from reading the Bible to secondly, believing the Bible and accepting it as an authoritative voice in your life from God. And then the ultimate goal three is not just to read the Bible and believe the Bible, but to then see the world through the lens of the Bible. And that's called a biblical worldview. And now you begin to walk in freedom, taking captive every thought. And so here's this promise, Isaiah 26, verse three. You will keep in perfect peace. Doesn't that sound good? It's a double translation in Hebrew of the word shalom. Shalom, shalom. Wholeness. Healing. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on CNN news. Fox News, whatever your drug of choice might be. All whose thoughts are fixed on their social media feed. No. You will keep in perfect peace all whose thoughts are fixed on you. This is why a lot of us in our lives experience what I call staccato peace. Peace that interrupts our lives for a moment, but it's quickly gone. Now, I am a pretend musician. I like to sing in the shower. And I used to have a dream, I'm going to learn the piano. I think my time has passed me by. But my daughter, Gabby, is a beautiful piano player, and she plays the piano in our living room, and it fills the first floor of our house with beautiful music, and I love to listen to it. And what I've learned from her is there's two type of notes when you play the piano, staccato and legato. A staccato note, it's a little harsh. It's quick. It's a little ugly. It sounds like this. It doesn't feel very good, does it? Let's do it again. That's how a lot of us relate to God's word is, man, I'm going to read the verse of the day and then go on with my day. <laughs> I am, you know, I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to be okay. Cause I got small, at least I got a small group coming up on Tuesday night and we're going to read some verses there. <laughs> that message was okay on Sunday. I got a little something there. <laughs> Staccato piece. It comes, it goes, but it's a piece of peace. Now, what God wants for you is something so much more comprehensive. There is a pedal, those of you who play piano know this, underneath the keyboard that actually lets you sustain the note, and it sounds like this. You can 
feel the difference, can't you? You can actually feel the shift in the room as you begin to experience sustained peace. As the Lord of peace himself gives you peace at all times and in every way. But where does that sustained peace come from? The legato peace? It comes as you give the Lord your sustained attention. As you begin to build your life on his word, as you begin to reform the grooves and the pathways of your mind so that when the enemy comes in with his suggestions and his lies, they don't stick because they no longer fit the patterns through which you begin to think and see the world. And now God brings a peace that is there and that you begin to dwell. Listen, you can't control the thoughts that come into your mind, but you can control what you dwell, the thoughts that you dwell on. And so Joshua 1, I'm going to meditate on the word of the Lord day and night. It means I'm going to chew on it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to bring it up at small group and I'm going to discuss it and talk about it. And then I'm going to read it again and I'm going to chew on it some more and I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to talk to another friend about it. And then I'm going to read it again and pray about it and keep chewing on it and chewing on it until my mind actually is reframed around the truth of God's word and who he is and what he said about me. And now there is a peace and a wholeness, shalom, shalom, that comes into your life and changes everything about you from the inside out. That's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. Let's receive it today. God, thank you so much for the peace that you have spoken over us. I thank you that you have given us brains that are not destined to think the same way they've always thought. But that if we will decide to fight and to push back through your power and the strength of your spirit, we can actually be transformed as our minds are renewed. And I'm praying that God today over your sons and your daughters, that there would come in this moment hope, that there would come in this moment faith that what has been does not have to always be that you're a God who changes things you're a God who transforms people you're a God who's doing a new thing and I pray right now Jesus that some chains would fall off that some prison doors would fly open as we realize and remember we're your kids we don't have to live this way and so I pray for wholeness. I pray for perfect peace. I pray for shalom, shalom right now in Jesus' name. Satan, we declare to you that your lies have no more power in this room and over our minds. And for everyone watching online, that those lies are being exposed. We uproot them. We pray, God, that your truth will be planted in, your, in our hearts and in our minds and that God, our identity would begin to be shaped around it again in the powerful, beautiful name of Jesus. Just for a moment, come on, everybody, just thank Jesus, would you? Just for a moment, right where you are in your own words. Just begin to thank him right now for the power of the gospel. In fact, why don't you say this out loud with me? Let's declare it together. Say, I 
am accepted and loved by God. Say it again. I am accepted and loved by God. One more time. I am accepted and loved by God. Receive it. Believe it. Live in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.